Hello and happy Friday, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of Get Your Tech On, our show on all things Doxis. Today, we're going to be covering return path monitoring and how this is accomplished in a DAA network with remote PHY nodes using technique called UTSC or Upstream Triggered Spectrum Capture. I'm your host, Brady Volt, founder of the Volt Firm and Nimble This. And joining me today is John Downey, CMTS Technical Leader at Cisco Systems. Welcome back, John. Oh, it's great to be back. And uh, shout out to everyone we saw uh, this week in Charlotte at the Piedmont SETE chapter meeting. It, uh, it was good to get out and see some people again. It's been a while since I actually went to a local SETE chapter. Um, it was what, what a vendor's day, right? And you were the keynote? Yeah, it was another vendor's day. Um, it was great to see. Also good to see everyone at Piedmont, and I really appreciate uh, them having uh, me come in and talk to them. And it was good seeing you there as well, John. Hey, what episode is this? This is episode 91, our 91st episode. So, um, yeah, so John, return path monitoring, I think is something you have uh, a little bit experience with yourself. I, um, I might, me too. So we both have worked for companies that have made return path monitoring equipment before. And uh, I've worked at a couple of different companies that have done that. So, I think let's start off like, you know, why is it we do return path monitoring? What is it? How does it benefit operators? Um, I'll let you start off, John, because I think you actually started in return path monitoring before I did. Yeah, I mean, heck, if we go back to C-Core days, um, we were getting into return path monitoring a little bit there with reverse sweep. Uh, then I left C-Core and joined WaveTech, and then I really got into return sweep, Um but, you know, WaveTech, turning into WaveTech, Walter Golterman, Acturna, JDSU, Viavi. <laughs> um, but having visibility into the upstream and knowing that upstream noise all funnels back, uh, having one location at a head end that you may be able to remotely monitor and get that information, um, at that point, it's difficult to really track down where it's coming from because of noise funneling. But then you go out and start segmenting the network either by uh, divide and conquer um, or maybe you have visibility out in the field with full bandwidth capture and the new cable modems and stuff like that. Uh, before that happened, you know, you would hook up a spectrum analyzer and the problem would be if it was a hub site, no one's at the hub site, it's unmanned. You're like, ah, I got ingress. Hey, can someone drag an HP 8591C out there and hook it up? And, you know, I don't want to point fingers at the IP side and the CMTS side before I can prove my own plant is not the problem. So understanding how to look at a spectrum analyzer, how to set up settings to find impulse noise, steady state noise, ham radio, shortwave radio, CB, all the types of gremlins that come into the upstream, right? Electrical noise. Uh, so having that visibility works out a lot and really great. Then the CMTSs started implementing Broadcom chipsets that had some type of noise capturing features, right? And we had a, Cisco had a feature called CBT, Cisco Broadband Troubleshooter. I loved it because I could be at home and remotely log in via SNMP. I mean, SNMP kind of stinks nowadays, but it would monitor via SNMP and pull the information from the chipset, and I could see the upstream spectrum. We basically grabbed the information, put it into a GUI, and you could see it. The power of that functionality over a real spectrum analyzer was because it's timed with the CMTS, you could say, hey, show me the upstream with no traffic. You weren't stopping traffic. You were just saying, show me the quiet times when no traffic is scheduled. So I could hit a couple buttons, see the upstream spectrum with no traffic. Even though there's plenty of traffic going on in the background, I could see the noise floor and everything underneath that burst the upstream traffic because I'm saying, show me the quiet time because I'm talking to the chipset. So if I ever did see an actual burst, and I know what a burst looks like, not impulse noise, but a, a modem burst, and if I saw something when I wasn't supposed to, I knew there was a problem. Either there's a modem with bad time offsets, a modem that's just ranging and trying to come online, or it's a modem that's hooked to one upstream port, but because of port-to-port -port isolation in the head end, it's finding a path to another port, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. But with that said, the pitfall to the CMTS spectrum analyzer, it's not meant to replace 
an $80,000 lab grade spectrum analog, right? So you can't do zero span mode. You can't do time, time domain. You can't find like really fast impulse noise. It's like 10 nanoseconds or whatever. Right. Uh, so those are the type of things might've been difficult to see or track down with functionality that you're only pulling once every five seconds or whatever S and MP happen to be doing. Right. So, so I think you, covered a lot of ground there. Um, so first of all, like when we talk about why are we doing return path spectrum analysis in the first place, um, or return path monitoring, we have, we have all these modems, all these subscribers distributed throughout our plant, and each one of those subscribers can be a source of return path noise. And all that noise starts to funnel back up to our CMTS, to one common point, which is that import port on the CMTS. So that, you know, that just becomes really difficult to to deal with all that noise coming up. So we need a way to visualize that. And one of those ways of visualizing is a spectrum analyzer, like you indicated. So I want to bring up on the screen here one of our legacy, kind of like what you're talking about, that old $20,000 spectrum analyzer. And we're looking at one here. This is kind of, a lot of people may recognize this. This is, this is an AT2500 from a company I used to work for, Sunrise Telecom, now VX. And this, this is kind of the way that we, um, you know, would traditionally look at the return path coming in. What we see here on the spectrum analyzer right now, the, the very first channel at the lowest frequency is actually an OFDMA channel starting at 5 megahertz and goes to 25 megahertz, actually 20 megahertz. Then the next two signals you see are two SC qualms that are 3.2 megahertz in, in width. They're just sandwiched real close together. And then the next channel after that is a 6.4 megahertz SC qualm channel. There are some OFD, there's another OFDMA channel up above and uh, higher frequencies, but there's just not enough traffic to um, actually make that run uh, enough that you can actually see those bursts coming up. But this is, you know, this is kind of like what you're saying, John, that old school spectrum analyzer. And if I just reach behind me and turn a button on, what you're seeing is there's some noise that just came in. And that noise is coming into where that higher frequency OFDMA channel would be. So this is how, you know, we'd use a spectrum analyzer. We can see um, our DOCSIS channels running. And then you could see, well, there's a big hunk of noise really high up at the upper end that came in um, artificially generated by me in the lab so that we can actually see this. And then, you know, traditionally technicians would um, either have these in a head end or they'd even take this, this unit is battery powered. So you can take this unit out in the field and, and go around and do troubleshooting with it to find out your different sources of ingress. You might open up amplifiers and pull pads and uh, until you see that ingress go away, or maybe, maybe even go to subscriber's home and disconnect that subscriber that's the source of that ingress. And once you know that ingress is gone, if you, you know, disconnect that subscriber and then you see that ingress just like it went away right now, you know, hey, I found that noisy subscriber's home. I got rid of that ingress. I solved that problem. And this, this worked particularly, you know, when we had a lot of analog networks, but as we start to move into distributed access networks, and if I go to my slide presentation here, um, you know, so we kind of have to go to a new technology that's called UTSC, or Upstream Triggered Spectrum, pr pr primarily because when we go to distributed access architecture networks, we have something called a CIN, and that's a digital fiber optic network or fiber fiber connection that is connecting the CMTS or the virtual CMTS to your remote fine node so you no longer have that you're no longer backhauling all of the analog signals from your remote fine node to your CMTS or your VCMTS so you don't have analog signals in your head end anymore that you can directly plug your spectrum analyzer into like what I was just showing anymore so now now we kind of need a different way of looking at those signals, and that's where this new technology comes in that's called UTSC. So we could use what you were talking about, John, CBT, like the Cisco Broadband Troubleshooter, to look at the CMTS. But one of the limitations with that, and, and I think you mentioned that, John, is it's, it's kind of slow. It only updates, you know, maybe once or a couple times, you know, once a second or once every couple of seconds. So you miss out on like capturing burst noise and things like that. So I said a whole lot, John, I'm sure you want to throw in some points on the things I just talked about. But yeah, and, and anything based on SNMP, it just seems like that is uh, uh, Achilles heel for a lot of us. 
Yes. Because S&P, you have multiple doing multiple people doing S&P, doing walks of the tire, uh, all the OIDs and MIBs, and uh, it can drag a box down. You know, the, ba- the box is meant to, to route packets and give customer service, and we're doing background monitoring stuff that maybe wasn't meant to do that much monitoring or that frequently. So then you just end up dragging it down even further. Uh, <laughs> so your device under test becomes the problem. You know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's uh, I don't know, catch-22 almost. Yep. But now it's like we've learned from that. Like even uh, IPDR, you know, the IP data records, you know, getting information about subscribers, uh, pushing the information out instead of trying to grab it via SNMP. So I think we're getting a little bit smarter with uh, how we monitor and grab the information. I think the technology is getting faster and more, uh, like you said I, earlier, you and I talked about the burst, burst traffic. How can it capture that? Um, so I think it's definitely getting much better in that regard. Um, but mo- many people probably don't even know they have it. You know, like how do I Correct. grab this information? Right. So I want, I want to uh, drop into the chat room. So we've got some comments coming in. So um, Peter, thanks for dropping back in. He says he's really in, eager to see the UTSC live stream. Um, so we will, Peter, we, you're familiar with uh, Viavi PathTrack and Expert. Um, we will be uh, very shortly showing a UTSC so, uh, demo. So please stick around. Um, and uh, he says, I think UTSC, we finally specified the technical base uh, to, for the vendors to be kind of independent for return path monitoring. So UTSC does offer some really nice functionality. We're going to get into that really shortly. Uh, Redreamer, thanks for joining. Thanks for tuning in. Um, there are lots of C-class X-ray flux spikes going on lately. Interesting. So um, be interested to, to uh, get a little bit more information from you, Redeemer, to understand what you're talking about there. Um, so thanks for joining live ca- for the the um, live stream and please drop your comments in there and folks don't wait till the very end um, get your questions into the chat room and uh, also please do hit that like and subscribe button we greatly appreciate it um, that, 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 that uh, example you gave with the spike of noise where did you place that frequency wise uh, that uh, spike of noise where? I think is around uh, I think it was around 85 megahertz I can't remember oh. exactly what I have it set up to that- so it reminded me of the time when, uh, when I had, uh, say, SA receivers in the head end and harmonic or a different vendor node out in the field. Now, your optics, this is analog optics, are usually in a pair, optical mm-hmm. receiver and the transmitter, right? Right. And in this case, the customer had different vendors. And the node had something called a quieting oscillator. So it purposely oh, yes. generated a little spike. So they would create enough energy to quiet down the upstream laser, and it was called a quieting oscillator. The problem was the receiver in the head end didn't know what it was, and it was screwing up its AGC. Right. Because usually sometimes it might be used for an AGC. Remember when we were at C-Core, we had something like that too, the old Adelphia nodes and stuff. They had like an AGC in there, uh, but that was for downstream. But this was a quieting oscillator on the upstream being generated in the node going back to the receiver in the head end. And I would see stuff like that, and everyone was like, where's this coming from? Turns out it was generated from the node. And it was fine if it was a matching pair optics. But when it wasn't, things would go awry. Or awry. And then uh, MER was bad. It was such a high spike sometimes it would cause harmonics. So the spike itself seemed like it was causing its own laser clipping. Do you remember <laughs> what the frequency of that spike was or the, to- the quieting it was, tone? It was, it was purposely put in, say, above 42. Okay. So, because the, so the diplex filter should cut it off then. Do you want to be... <laughs> Below 54 megahertz for channel two, but you want to be above the upstream. So you found they found a spot to put it like somewhere high uh, that then could just generate the signal in the upstream and not interfere with your upstream signal. But yeah, sometimes it was uh, too high of a power or it shouldn't have been there in the first place. Right. Makes sense. So I have a couple more slides here to describe what UTSC is. So first of all, UTSC is part of a cable lab specification. Um, it, it's in the specification in a number of areas. I would recommend if anyone wants more details, take a look at the um, the cable labs CCAP operational support systems interface specification, and that kind of defines like how how things operationally work um, for UTSC. I will say that different vendors have implement, implemented the UTSC specification or f- functionality different differently. Um, 
So what it, the, the basic way the UTSC works is we still use SNMP. So I know, John, you're like, you know, SNMP can cause utilization issues on the CMTS, but we're, we're just using SNMP to configure the CCAP or the CMTS and or the RPD in order to set it up to basically say, hey, this, these are the, the frequency ranges, sort of like the start and stop frequency, the spectrum we want to capture. This is how fast we want to capture that spectrum. So, you know, we want five traces per second or we want 10 traces per second. And then there's like other things that we set up if we want IQ data or if we just want amplitude data or power data. We're kind of telling it how we want it, the, the CMTS or the RPD to return that data to us. So then we know how to decode that data once we start to receive the data. Um, then once we get that data back, we start decoding it and we, cause it, it's just going to send us raw data, like you know, basically hex data. When we start to receive that data back, we decode it and then we start to display it. And, and that displays underneath our, our heads down there. Um, so then after that, um, so kind of the current state of UTSC. So UTSC has a lot of functionality in our specs. So the current state, you know, we're getting like five or 10 traces per, per second, depending on the vendors. And most vendors are supporting what's called a free run mode. And free run mode is kind of like the spectrum analyzer, that AT2500 that I was just showing running behind us, the, or to, you know, what's running in my lab right now. That's kind of, you know, basically the, what we've used in the past. So it's, when I mean what I mean by free run is there's kind of no association of the spectrum analyzer to the Mac scheduler and the CMTS. Now, you talked about the Cisco broadband troubleshooter that had awareness of when modems were transmitting and when modems were not transmitting. That's also something that's part of the UTSC specification where part of the you know the we will have functionality in UTSC where we'll be able to trigger on different MAC addresses or there's there's something in CMTSs um, that's called SID where we you know there's a, a one-to-one relationship between the MAC address and its its SID identifier. And so basically we can say, okay, now I want to start triggering on I just want to see the spectrum when a particular MAC address is transmitting. Or maybe I want to look at the spectrum when no MAC addresses are triggering, which we call quiet time. And that gives us really cool features to look at because uh, particularly on SCQAM channels, if I want to look when no MAC addresses are transmitting, there should be absolutely no energy in those particular time slots. And if there is energy, I know something wonky is going on, like maybe a cable modem, a rogue cable modem is transmitting outside of its allocated time slots. And that gives us some really cool transmitting ability. And then we have an even more functionality than we've ever had before with UTSC. We have the ability to transmit on burst noise. So we can, you know, if there's any kind of like transient or burst noise in a return path, we can just tell UTSC, look for that noise when you see it capture it and display it on the screen. So that's really powerful for us to capture impulse noise, burst noise. When it comes to the OFDMA channels, we can trigger on active and quiet probes. So now we can start to see noise that are underneath individual subcarriers or groups of subcarriers. So it's kind of like the same thing for SCQAM where you know we could we could trigger on quiet times. We can do that same thing using active and quiet probes. And then, you know, so then we even have the ability to turn off subcarriers if we want and just see that spectrum under the subcarrier. So all of these are different features in UTSC. A lot of vendors have not gotten to the point where they've actually enabled this functionality yet, but this is all going to be coming because we're really now we're just at the pit point where vendors have implemented the, again, the free run aspect of UTSC. And, and it's really quite cool. We're going to look at it in just a, a couple of moments. Um, so... Okay, okay, okay. Hold up, hold up. Go ahead. My tongue. To go back one more slide. All right. What does DOCSIS stand for? Data over cable. Is it written on there or not? Data over cable system interface specification. If I get them all right, sometimes I screw it up. Data over cable service interface? Is it service? That's the one. I think that's the one I get wrong. Service or system? When you say DOCSIS specification, you're being redundant. <laughs> You're getting me on on acronyms, initialism. So is DOCSIS an acronym no, or initialism? No, that, 
doxes is a word, so it's an acronym. It's an acronym, right? <laughs> and that's um, and I, we get them on that too. You know how I get around that? I say doxes standard. Doxes standard. And then, you know, I think that's I think that's something I I um, mess up too. Doxes specification is incorrect. Doxes is a standard. It's not a specification, right? Or or, my, or is my, it? If doxes has means specification in the word, then you wouldn't say specification specification. Yeah. Right. So if I say, hey, I use the DOCSIS standard, then I'm saying data over cable service interface spec standard. Regardless. But we digress. <laughs> All right. All right. Go to the next slide. So I would be remiss not to mention that if you do free run and you're in a distributed access architecture with digital fiber, you have maybe a 10 giggy pipe between the CMTS or virtual CMTS and the RPD. And that's the CIN. Or that- multiple, yeah, called the CIN, the Converged Interconnect Network. So it's a digital fiber. Right. So if you have 10 gig, you think, oh, I got plenty of capacity. But what if you're feeding four RPDs? So you're doing like a multicast, a, a pool, a multicast pool, they call it. And you have that downstream 10 gig split four ways to four different RPDs. That could be, say, two gig a piece. That's eight gig right there. And then you're generating downstream overhead in the form of maps, map mm-hmm. messages people forget about. And now you're generating upstream traffic, not just for upstream traffic, but for this UTSC. Right. So it's not free, right? You're generating background traffic. And it's not a trivial amount of traffic. You'll be shocked when you know how much. Yeah, and and I don't even know how much exactly, but if you put free run, it's going to be a lot more than if you just said, hey, throw me a trace every once in a while. So if we go all the way out to 204 megahertz, which a lot of cable operators are starting to look and be interested in seeing all the traffic out to 204 megahertz. That'll be 80 megabits per second per port on that RPD. So it's definitely not a trivial amount of traffic. So yeah. if you have multiple, you got two ports on the RPD, that, and you want to look at both ports at the same time, we could potentially be backhauling 160 megabits per second if we, if we have the ability, if that RPD supports looking at both ports at the same time. So and, and, it's something you have to factor in. Yeah, some RPDs are two by two RPDs, so it's really two one by ones. Correct. So it's multiple RPDs in one, and then you could have multiple ports doing UTSC on individual. Like maybe they have some functionality where you can do individual ports, but normally the UTSC is from the chipset itself. There's usually only one chipset, or maybe one chipset with two two interfaces. Um, right. Yeah. So yeah, it, it could be more than you anticipated. Yeah, so it's, I mean, you're still talking about a 10 gigabit link versus you know 180 megabits per second. So it's it's still a small amount of traffic, but it is something when you're thinking about the traffic engineering of all the traffic out there. UTSC will take up a little bit of that link, so it's something to to keep in mind as part of that. Yeah, and most most MSOs own that sin, but what if you're leasing that sin? You're paying for traffic that's not really being paid for. You know, your customers pay you for data traffic, yeah. but you might have to pay a lease on the SIN because you're leasing it from some other company, uh, SQL or whoever else, you know, sells back, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, the backhaul traffic. Right. Uh, you might be in a, a Metro Ethernet ring and you're paying for that and then you're generating traffic that you're paying for. Yeah, again, it's it is something that you have to keep in mind. However, anything you know on the network that you're getting from an RPD, it's going to be hauled back, hauled over that SIN or dis- distributed to the RPD over the SIN. Um, so, Nershoa says, "What is the purpose of UTSC trigger mode other?" Um, so the other. Um, so I think you've you've read the spec. That's awesome. Um, I think just about every single MIB. So the uh, management information. Um, oh, MIB. I forget what the B stands for in MIB. Do you remember, John? Um, I was base. Base. It might be base. Um, so the MIB objects, they, uh, they always define like um, – so within the MIB objects for uh, UTSC, they'll define um, – I have to remember what this question was. The, the per, oh, for the trigger. Uh, the trigger will define free run. It'll define trigger on SID, trigger on Mac. It'll, it'll define all the different ways that we can trigger. And then there will always be like others. Almost every single MIB object always has an other in it. And, and that other, I, 
I'm not sure if we reserve that for like future use, but there's we always have the other category. So other just means don't use that. It's not going to work uh, if you if you try to use that. Um, but it, it's it's just going to be a placeholder for maybe a future use case in there in that MIB object. So thank thanks for the question. Um, apologize if I'm pronouncing your name, Narosha. But thanks so much for joining our chat room. Um, so another cool feature about UTSC in general and having the ability to use software only to look at our return path is um, unlike the legacy spectrum analyzer that we are looking at that just really shows you the return, it doesn't show you things like correctable code words, uncorrectable code words, and the MER. Um, since we're getting this data from the CMTS, we can also query the CMTS or CCAP, whatever you prefer to call it, um, other data at the same time and, and overlay that data to give you a much more rich experience when you're doing return path monitoring and return path analysis, spectrum analysis. So, we, you know, we can show you each upstream channel, and you can kind of see in this image here, we have the OFDMA channel highlighted or kind of displayed, uh, each SEQAM channel displayed. We're showing the different modulation profiles that is, are being used. We can show correctables, uncorrectables, MER. We can show a chart down below. And that sort of just enriches the view for the end user. The same thing can also be displayed on the mobile app. So if you're out in the field troubleshooting, you don't necessarily have to have your entire computer with you. You can if you prefer to have that. But if you're up in a bucket truck, um, I got a bucket truck on my shirt here. Uh, it may be much easier to ha just have a handheld phone with you having the same type of display and the same type of enrichment information so you can see if you're actually improving things like MER. And it might be difficult to see just from a, a spectrum analyzer display if you're making MER better or if you're making your correctables and uncorrectable code words better or worse when you're trying to troubleshoot a problem. So all that being displayed at the same time is actually quite helpful. So um, thank you, Narosha. I'm glad I pronounced your name correctly. Um, and you're, so you're also asking, ah, you know what, that's an excellent question. What is the difference between UTSC and RxMER captures? Um, and that's a really critical question because it brings up a key point in how we do some of our testing um, with the whole PNM aspect, because some of our testing, depending on the vendor, we can do at the same time, and some of it we can't. And, and that's one of the, so getting into, you said like, what is the other test? When we look at tests functionality in the MIB objects, it's going to say, um, particularly for PNM tests, it's gonna say, do you wanna do a UTSC test? Do you want to do an RxMER test? Do you want to do um, a histogram test? So there's like these different PNM tests that we have the capabilities of doing. UTSC test is one of them. Getting RxMER data from our OFDMA channels is another. And a lot of, depending on the vendor, depending on the CMTS, you may or you may not be able to do UTSC and collect RxMER data at the same time. So this brings up a challenge for cable operators. Um, when you're doing UTSC, when you're trying to troubleshoot your return path, you may be able to do UTSC, run your UTSC return path monitor, and collect RxMER data from your OFDMA channel. So you're running OFDMA, you wanna get the RxMER data so you can see if there are any impairments under your OFDMA channel. So that's a separate test, and it uses SNMP MIBs to do that. Ideally, we want to be able to troubleshoot our return path spectrum at the same time as get that RxMER data. Not all CMTS vendors allow us to do that simultaneously. So what that means is, if I'm having impairments under my OFDMA channel and I want to collect RxMER data to see what those impairments are, or maybe I want to collect RxMER data to run the profile management application, which allows us to compensate for some of those impairments. I may have to tell my technicians, guys, you have to stop upstream return path troubleshooting using UTSC so I can go out and collect RxMER data. And again, this is very vendor specific. Some vendors 
do support the ability to run UTSC and collect RxMER data at the same time, while others do not. And this is something we run into quite frequently. We have uh, some work going on right now in Cable Labs in the PNM working groups that we are putting together um, some documentation to try to help vendors understand why it's really valuable that we can run UTSC and troubleshoot our return noise and collect RxMER data at the same time. So if you're running into this issue, please let your know please let your vendors know it's really important that we can troubleshoot our return and do upstream return path troubleshooting and collect RxMER data at the same time. So great question, Rosha. Thank you so much. To me, to me the troubleshooter, uh, you know, many times you're worried about your consumer getting the right speed and optimize their, their profiles and everyone's running the highest modulation they can. And if they're not, you need to know why. So you would do receive MER <laughs> and you can look at that and say, all right, well, this is why it's not running the highest modulation because 10 of my subcarriers are in the dirt. Maybe it's roll off. Maybe it's low end noise. Maybe it's ingress on the carrier from shortwave radio. And then I might say, all right, to troubleshoot physical layer problems, I need something that looks at physical layer. Right. Now UTSC. So I pull up my U- UTSC and see if there's anything apparent. If it's not apparent because it's underneath, maybe I can use some of the functionality to say, all right, show me when there's no carrier. And let me see if there's anything hidden underneath, like a shortwave radio that's just spiking up just a little bit. And maybe that's enough to cause low MER. And sure enough, it's right at the same exact frequency where the MER trace is showing. Remember, the MER trace is MER versus frequency. Right. Versus subcarrier. And that, we're really talking about OFDMA, right? Docs Correct. Uh, I don't know that there's a RX MER for – there's a – there's an MER for an upstream single carrier qualm, but there's not like a graph because there's no need. It's one big carrier. Yes, and, and there's no issue getting the MER for the single carrier qualm yeah. channel. That, that you know, we don't run into a conflict with UTSC. Yeah, it's only one. It's, right, one, it's just it's one, one data value. Yeah. <laughs> one Whereas, data point. What's funny about that is I have another customer that wanted one value reading for OFDMA, and I'm like, that kind of, that kind of defeats the purpose. You have thousands of subcarriers all with MER readings. Uh, yes, we might clump them together to average them out in a mini slot for our, our decisions to change the upstream modulation profile, but we can show you every MER of every subcarrier. So for me to go ahead and say, well, your average MER for OFDMA is uh, 38. Yes. It could be 25 at one point. It could be 45 at another point. So what's the point of giving an average? Yeah, and we you can get the average RxMER for the OFDMA channel, and you get a standard deviation. So it can, okay. that standard deviation number can tell you, yes, you know, here's so here's your average RxMER, but the standard deviation's huge, which tells you your channel's really bad. We don't know where the channel's really bad, so now you have to go get the RxMER data to know. It, you know, where at what frequency it's really bad. And then once you know what frequency is really bad, you really need to go and do return pass spectrum analysis to see why it's really bad at that frequency. To see like one more point is correctable correctable FEC on OFDMA. Just like OFDM, we tell people don't bother even like worrying about correctable. Just because of how LDPC works, time and frequency interleaving, the, the functionality, the FFT, all this stuff goes on with OFDMA and OFDM. Uh, correctable FEC on downstream could read 100%. Yes. And you're thinking the sky is falling, but it's perfectly normal. So those are two things that we track for single carrier qualm that are great. Correctable FEC kind of gives you an idea you're going to lead into uncorrectable sooner or later. But for OFDMA and OFDM, don't rely on correctable FEC to be an indicator that it's going to turn into uncorrectable. Correct. What, what, what I do see happen if, and, and we'll see this when we pull up the spectrum. Actually, we can pull up the spectrum now if we want. Um, uh, on my laptop, Mia, is that, uh, is that not showing up on my laptop? So if we pull up my lap, not this spectrum analyzer, my laptop, please. Um, let me. I, maybe I just have to take down my PowerPoint presentation here because I'm done with that and go to my laptop there. Whoops, not that either. <laughs> Showing everything but what I want to show. Oh, I know why. Um, I want to show that. So, so here, 
so this is a, the actual UTSC analyzer running in real time. This is the same OFDMA channel we were showing on the other spectrum analyzer. This, these are the two um, 3.2 megahertz SC qualms. This is a 6.4 megahertz SC qualm. There's another 6.4 that's not getting much traffic, and here's a another OFDMA channel over here. Um, but up at the top here, you. You know, if there, so this is a lab plant. This is a very clean plant. It doesn't see noise unless I inject it. You will see, like, our correctables are zero um, until I put some noise under there. And, and so you can, you, from a correctable standpoint, what I, like, what I see in a lab environment is you can look at correctables and say, if your correctables are zero, you know your OFDMA channel is really clean underneath. But to your point, John, as soon as I put noise underneath that, these correctables can go from 0 to 100% incredibly fast, yet my uncorrectables will stay at 0. Um, yeah. And, and that's, that's very, very different than what we would say, for example, with an SC qualm channel. With an SC qualm channel, uh, your correctables, if I put noise under an SC qualm, my correctables will slowly ratchet up until they get high, and, and my uncorrectables will slowly go up, and, and then my, you know, my MER will degrade and stuff. So it, it's a very different experience than what people will typically have. <laughs> so Peter, Peter Whitman, I think you're making a funny, if I don't like a colleague, tell him to fix an OFDM or OFDMA channel to reach 0% FAC. That's a good one. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I zero, turn the channel off all completely. Yeah. <laughs> that's another way to get zero traffic. That's, <laughs> that's awesome, Peter. I, I think you're going to really have some fun with people on that one, <laughs> especially if they're new and haven't watched any of our live streams. <laughs> So, so but so what we're back on the on my screen here. What we're looking at now is, I mean, this is the type of performance that you get with UTSC, and this is coming directly from this is an RPD. So this is a you know distributed access network that we have here. It, it is in a lab controlled environment, but the 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 you know sort of the response that you see here is so radically different than what you would have if this was via SNMP. Granted, we use SNMP to set this up, to configure it, to say what the start and stop frequency is, but you're getting something that is very, very similar to a real-time spectrum analyzer as far as like the trace response time. So if like I were a technician and I were to pull a pad out of an amplifier, um, I get a much faster response time. I'm just going to go ahead and uh, clear my analyzer trace here. Uh, reset that so you can see things come back. But the other thing I'm going to do, I'm going to go ahead and turn that noise back on. So you remember when I turned the noise on in the spectrum analyzer, the real-time spectrum analyzer, it came up really quick. This is that same noise that I, uh, I'm turning on here. We can see that noise. So you asked what frequency it was. It was difficult for me to see what frequency that was on the real-time spectrum analyzer, but it, it's really clear and easy to see it here. If I put the marker over it, we can see that centered if you look right up here, center right at 61.35 megahertz. And then, I mean, things are just a little slicker on a computer. I can even click and zoom in on that. And you can see what that noise it is. It's just a little bit of Gaussian noise that I have put in, uh, narrow frequency Gaussian noise. And then you can double click and zoom back out and see that, no see that that noise is still there. And then if I turn the noise off, um, there is just a little bit of delay. Um, from when I turn the noise off because it's it's an amplifier, so the capacitors and stuff are discharging in the in the amp, in the uh, amplifier that I'm turning off. But then that noise goes away. Peak hold still stays there. So if I just uh, click refresh here, that'll peak hold will go away, and we'll see that noise is finally gone. So that's. Um, that's cool. And then, as I said, the other thing you can do with the overlay, these are the MER for each of the channels that we can have down here. And then at the bottom is uh, correctables and uncorrectables are basically at zero. So that's, that's what we're seeing down here at the bottom. I can turn off the MER too, turn off the uncorrectables, and now we're just seeing the correctables. But it's not too fun to see because I don't have any noise going on. So there's you know just lots of things that you can do. Um, easy to zoom in on these, just like before. So if we just want to look at one channel, you can kind of see what's going on. You know, so we've talked about cable modem haystacks before, John. And um, so we call them haystacks because they kind of have sort of that haystack-like shape. So if no one's seen a cable modem haystack before, this is exactly what we're talking about with a 
cable modem haystack shape. So that is the UTSC Spectrum Analyzer working in real time in a distributed access architecture network from an RPD. Your thoughts on that, John? I mean, um, I, I point out the visual aspect of 3.2 should be 3 dB higher than the 6.4. The 6.4 should be about the same height as the OFTMA, regardless of OFTMA width, uh, according to how Cisco does it. Yeah. Uh, we, we do our level measurement for CM, cable modem and CMTS upstream ranging based on the 6.4 channel width. And from there, we do something called uh, power spectral density or power per hertz. So the wider you go, um, it will stay at the same height as a 6.4. So you can run into power issues if you don't, if you don't plan for the, the amount of power and how much spectrum you plan on using OFDMA, like 204. Right. Uh, but you're guaranteed a certain CNR and MER regardless of the width. So, so if I have a narrow OFDMA and then I go wider and wider, it doesn't get lower in level. It'll stay at the same reference level as the 6.4 single carrier qualm, but then you know your carrier noise is the same for every single frequency in that OFDMA. Yep. So it's, it's good to know also, you talked about this at the, uh, the conference on Tuesday, was an OFDMA can be very misleading when you don't have traffic running because we schedule the traffic from left to right, lowest frequency up, and if there's not a lot of traffic, I've also saw the reference level look lower, like it's a different power level. Right. But as soon as I put in more traffic, 75, 80% traffic utilization, you'll see the whole thing fill up. So not only will it fill up in frequency, you'll see it actually a little bit higher in level as well. And it'll be, it'll be more in line with what you were expecting. Yeah, and right now there's a lot of traffic. And this is, this is our test network, so we constantly have a lot of traffic. I mean, there's... There's, I think, probably about 150 megabits per second continuously going over this network right now. So um, these channels are continuously occupied so we don't get to see, um, to your point, if there is less traffic. And, and what I've seen, like when this, when this network's a little bit slower, you may only see part of this OFDMA band, like the lower frequency part of this OFDMA channel occupied. Whereas the higher frequency of the OFDMA channel won't be utilized at all. There won't there won't be any any activity up here. Um, right now, there's there's a lot of traffic going, so we, we can't quite visualize that. That'd be a good video to do in the future to to, to show how. Then why do you why do we schedule traffic from left to right? And really, it's part of the spec. It says start with mini slot zero. Uh, now you could maybe interpret interpret that differently and say, well, I'm going to renumber my mini slot zero from the high end <laughs> or something. Like I, I've run, I've had this argument that I'd like to have a configurable start because this validates why I don't like to use the lower frequencies. One, we know it's dirty and noisy. Yes. Yeah, so it's wrong, <laughs> it's robust, but I want to exploit OFDMA to have higher speeds, not just open up bad spectrum. So knowing that you have, you're going from five to 20 and we schedule traffic from left to right, we're actually scheduling in the lowest, crappiest noise floor before we even get up to 15 or 20. So we could be relegated to a lower pro profile because it's so noisy. It could be running 16 qualm or QPSK or something crazy like that. It's like, yeah, I'd rather run my OFDMA further up and get more bang for my buck. Yeah, and, and, and for our viewers, um, notice what happens here. So I mentioned there was another OFDMA channel up here. But what the way the cable modems and the CMTS, or the way the CMTS schedules the traffic, the CMTS is always using the lowest frequency OFDMA channel first. But notice there, there was enough traffic that finally hit that it started using this higher frequency OFDMA traffic so or channel. Uh, so if I go into high split mode and I go all the way up to 204 megahertz, um, uh, well, it looks like I lost that burst. <laughs> so that, that burst that filled this higher frequency channel here um, went away once I switched to high split mode. But um, it, occasionally this higher OFDMA channel will be used. But typically what's going to happen is we're always using this lower OFDMA channel before we use the, the higher OFDMA channel. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. You like think about where you put your OFDMA channels it's always going to use the lower one first, and then to John's point, it's always going to use the lower frequency of your OFDMA channel. So 
Lower frequencies, always, like 5 to 20 megahertz is probably one of the worst places to put your OFDMA channel, what I have done here in a lab network. I've done this because I'm doing a lot of noise testing and things like that. Um, but if you can, you're going to want to move to 85 megahertz return and then, or even ideally 204 megahertz return path and keep your OFDMA channels at a higher frequency and ideally don't put anything in the 5 to 20 megahertz spectrum because that's going to be your noisiest spectrum. Um, yeah, so uh, back to the chat room. Peter, thank you. Glad you liked the demo. Um, so you're asking about waterfall diagrams. So yes, waterfall diagrams are is actually something we're developing right now, and we'll be adding that in. Uh, and what and for anyone who doesn't want know, all the water that waterfall diagram is is it gives us the ability to kind of show the history. So if you have a big noise burst that comes in, that'll show up in the waterfall diagram. Um, and uh, no, this was not an OFDMA probe. Uh, the, the CMTS we're using right now does not support OFDMA probing, but. Um, as soon as that comes in, we'll be doing that. Oh, thank you, Mia. So how to decode US, UTSC captures in the server? Um, so, so as I mentioned, the data that's coming back from the, uh, the RPDs or the CCAP, CMTS, it is in a hex format. Um, there is some information in the, uh, in the DOCSIS. <laughs> I'm not going to say it. <laughs> In the DOCSIS standards, <laughs> thanks, John, uh, uh, about sort of how to do the decoding, but kind of what we found out is each vendor does that, you know, does the encoding of the data a little bit differently. So uh, you're really going to need to reach out to the vendors and talk to the vendors about how to do, do that decoding. Uh, there's each vendor does it a little bit differently. So depending on who, what CMTS vendor you have, reach out to that vendor and talk to them about how to, to do the decoding. Um, so Melvin, you have a channel from 19 to 34 megahertz. It's going to be a little challenging. You're right on the cusp, but you should be able to do OFDMA in that spectrum. And Peter, you're thinking OFDMA probing for the pre-equalizer. Yes, um, that's uh, that's definitely something. So so. On that point, Peter, pre-equalization by default is not frequently turned on. Definitely make sure you turn your pre-equalizer on. I, I'm assuming you definitely know what to do there to do that. Um, but with that said, we also had uh, some issues with some modems where the pre-EQ got out of whack. And uh, the, the levels of MER readings were like, like up and down. Yes. And it turned out we turned off pre-EQ on the OFTMA and it settled it down. And that's and so, so that's why it's been fun. turned off by default by most vendors because the modem didn't have the right support for it. So that to that point, turn, if, for those of you who have pre-equalization turned off for OFDMA, we're not talking about SEQAM, um, definitely test your modems. Turn pre-equalization on in a lab environment first. Make sure all your modems that you have in the plant, you have those in the lab environment so you can verify, to John's point, it doesn't actually make things worse for your customer. This is like DOCSIS 2.0 all over again, where we were afraid to turn on pre-equalization because it was making things worse. Pre-equalization is supposed to make things better. With, with OFDMA, we are finding we're kind of having those growing pains again. A lot of the modem vendors now have firmware that takes care of that. You just have to update your modems to the latest firmware, and then you can turn on pre-equalization, and it will make your OFDMA channel operate better just like it's expected to. And then we can start mining uh, those OFDMA channels for ICFR data. Um, but it's kind of a chicken and egg type thing till we can get that turned on. ICFR, in-channel frequency response? Yes, so in-channel frequency like response so we know how the modems are compensating for any impairments in the return. And uh, so, Peter, one more comment. Thank you so much. So a BPSK pattern across the entire OFDMA channel at the same time. Um, yeah, so that's... so. That BPSK, we have that from the pilots um, to help modems lock. So, yes, absolutely. So, great, John. I think uh, I think we answered all the questions. Great questions in the chat room. Thanks so much. Um, and with that, uh, we've reached the end of yet another episode of Get Your Tech On, episode 91. So, hope everyone found something in this exciting and, uh, you know, informative um, UTSC is here, and I think it's a, it's going to be the new way we're all analyzing our returns. It's just a matter of now getting everyone up to speed, make sure 
Everyone with DOCSIS 3.1 CMTSs are updating firmwares. That is a requirement on a number of the CMTSs to get them up to date so that they can support UTSC. That's probably the greatest thing we're finding right now is a number of our customers don't have the latest firmware versions on their CMTSs. I think the issues we might have ran into were um, before UTSC was fully baked, maybe people were utilizing something called NDF, NDR, narrowband digital forward, narrowband digital reverse, where you digitize an upstream signal like return return path monitoring, return path sweep, telemetry, digitize it so you can put it on a DAA environment and send it back. And uh, they might have had that set up for UTSC and it didn't work and they were supposed to turn it off to get UTSC to properly talk to an external server or something like that. So, I mean, there were some... I think some hurdles when it first came out. So, uh, I mean, talk to your tech guys and talk to Brady. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I would say from a development standpoint, UTSC has been one of the more challenging things we've done um, in the realm of proactive network maintenance. So uh, it's not been simple. It's not been an easy road, but we're we're over most of the hurdles and we're really glad to be rolling UTSC out. So... um, yeah. I would say that one of our last episodes probably falls in line with that was the uh, the um, the leakage testing stuff. The uh, oh yes, OUDP, OUDP, OUDP test <laughs> it's, it's also an, another challenging thing too. Is you know the, what we're doing in in doc in the world of docs is, is exciting, but it's also getting more and more complicated as we go on. So it is far different from the world of just measuring signal levels, powers, and basic MER. Um, That makes it exciting. It keeps things interesting. So it's been fun. During the conference, uh, you know, I talked to someone. We we all think we're going digital and more fiber and one zero is digital. But with DOCSIS 4.0 and full duplex DOCSIS and extended spectrum DOCSIS, we say RF is sexy again, right? So it's like, (laughs) We got to get back into RF. The problem is a lot of the RF guys are retiring. They're you know leaving. They're getting older. So uh, RF is not going away. It's still there. And the basis of RF is in microwave. It's in fiber. It's in everything we do anyway. So it's uh, kind of back to basics. The stuff you do with Ron, I think it's always going to be needed. Yep. You know, like refreshers all the time. It is. So the stuff we've been doing with Ron is great. This stuff is great. Appreciate your time. So thanks everyone for watching. Thanks everyone in the chat room. This was great. Please do hit the subscribe, like, and that notification bell. And we'll be back soon with a new episode. John, thanks again for your time. It's good seeing you this week, and we'll be back soon. Thanks all. Bye-bye. Thank you. Take care.